All right, church, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab those and turn with me to John chapter 6. Uh, to John chapter 6. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, you'll find one of those uh, underneath your seat there. Uh, we would love for you to take that home with you uh, if you don't have a copy uh, of the Bible. So if you're a guest uh, with us, just to catch you up a little bit, we spent uh, this year journeying through the Bible together, kind of chronologically looking at the story of God. And so uh, the tagline we've kind of been using this year is to, the effort is to know God from Eden all the way back in Genesis with creation, all the way uh, to eternity, to see uh, the story of God, who He is, what He has done and is doing uh, for us to have a relationship with Him. That's what the Bible is about. The Bible, first and foremost, is revealing to us who God is. And so if you want to know what God is like, uh, we are to go and submit ourselves to how He has revealed Himself uh, in the pages of Scripture. And so uh, for the last few weeks, we've been uh, finally, after our, a nine-month trek in the Old Testament, we've made our way to the New Testament. We've been looking at the life uh, and the ministry and the person of Jesus, the claims um, of the God-man. And so back uh, a few weeks ago in John 1, we saw that Jesus, uh, his existence far exceeds kind of the Christmas story in Bethlehem. That He is the pre-existent Word of God. That He's existed from eternity. He was never created. That he is the second person of the Trinity, and he, he was active in creation, that this, this glorious God that we've been singing about, the great I Am, is Jesus, and Jesus came and dwelt among us. This eternal God put skin on and walked in our world. And so then the next week we said, why? Why did Jesus come and dwell among us? And we saw that he came to seek and to save the lost. And we took a, a really fly-by version of the Sermon on the Mount, and we looked at this righteousness that's, that's available to us as followers of Christ. We're not righteous because of anything that we do. We are only righteous if Jesus gives us his righteousness. It's a righteousness that is, is a gift righteousness, nothing that we earn. And when, he, when we receive Christ, what he does is he changes us from the inside out. He declares us to be righteous and says, Now, in light of who you are, now go live in obedience with me. Not for my love, but because you are loved. Not for my acceptance, but because you have my acceptance. Here's what life looks like when you understand the king and the king takes up residence in your heart. You are transformed. You're not the same. So Christianity is not about trying really hard. Christianity is about being with King Jesus, getting changed by him, and then that that spills over into literally every corner of our soul. And every area of our lives. And then last week, Pastor Paul was here, and he preached from Matthew 11 about how he came to his own, but his own did not receive him. So here is God in the flesh making salvation and hope and love and grace possible, and they don't see him. And they refuse to bow their knee that you are the one we've been waiting on. You are our king. And they rejected him. They had unbelief. And so Pastor Paul walked us through just this amazing sermon. I went back and listened to it. If you haven't listened to that from last week, go back. It's worth the download and worth the two hours or however long he preached. Uh, But what unbelief and true faith really is. It is so good. Uh, But this week we're going to unpack that a little bit even deeper. So you see we're kind of progressing here in the life and teaching of Jesus. Uh, We've been wrestling with the fact that if you're going to if you're here and you're not a believer, and you're here with a friend, or you're a skeptic, or you're here asking questions, kind of peeking over the fence about what all this is about, maybe you left the church, and you're kind of making your way back into the church, and you're wondering, is Jesus really who he says he is? Uh, today is just such a great day to be here. Uh, we always talk about Jesus, but today specifically, we're going to walk through, um, really very briefly, 
uh, seven statements from Jesus, but looked really in depth at one of them uh, about the I am statements of Jesus. And so I have you in John 6, but flip over to John 8. The words will be on the screen if you'd rather just follow along there. But here's, we're going to jump into a conversation to kind of set up a little bit of what's happening uh, here. But he's talking to the Pharisees, the religious leaders of that day who are wanting to just stifle Jesus, to kill Jesus because of what he's claiming to be. Uh, and he says this just startling statement in John eight fifty eight. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, what's he say? I am. Now, we just sang a song that worshiping the great I am because the word that I am is God's personal name that he's given himself all the way back into Exodus. He revealed himself to Moses to be, Moses said, who should I say sent me? And God said, you tell him that I am sent you. This is the eternal God. I just exist. I'm the pre-existent God who's worthy of all worship. I am the one true God. And so this is an explicit claim from the mouth of our Savior before Abraham was. You, you guys are putting so much confidence in, this, in your father Abraham. He's the founder of your faith. But before him, I am. I am the one true God. I literally am. I'm not just another teacher. I'm not just a prophet. I'm not just another carpenter from Nazareth. I am Yahweh, the one true God. I am. And then throughout his earthly ministry, you see him using this phrase, I am. And he uses the scriptures attached to that to kind of unpack more of what's being said here with this idea. So let, let me just very, very briefly fly by these. And I hope if you've been reading along with us in the story, uh, you've been reading these this week from the book of John. Uh, but I want us just to make a statement with them and just we won't elaborate at all because I want to get to the last one where we'll spend our time in John 6. But the statements will be up on the screen. You don't have to turn. They'll be up here behind me. Here's the first thing that Jesus is saying. He says, I am, but he says, into our darkness, the darkness of our sin that we've been talking about for the last three or four weeks, the I am is, John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. In the midst of our sin, in the midst of our false view of God, false views of ourselves, rebellion, it's spiritual darkness. You can't see who God is. And Jesus says, I came, I am, the I am is made flesh, to, to get you out of your darkness and into light, to see your sin, to see who I am. Then he goes on, another statement later on, he says, into our hopelessness. The I am, Jesus says, John 10, 9, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. So listen, apart from Jesus coming and making himself flesh and doing what he did on the cross and in the resurrection, we are hopeless. We are outside the kingdom of God. We have no access into the relationship with God, into fellowship with him, to find this pasture. We can't know him apart from Jesus. And so Jesus says to you today, I'm the door. You may feel like you're an outsider. You may feel like you're far from me, and you are in your sin but I am the door. And if you will enter by me, you can find pasture for your souls. He goes on and says, into our lostness, the I am is, John 10, 11, he says, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Sheep are stupid, amen? <laughs> we're sheep and we're lost and we're just going out into our peril, into our danger. Jesus says, I am your good shepherd. I can leave you in your wandering. I can leave you in your lostness. You'll never find your way. You can never provide for yourself. But I'm your shepherd. I'm going to come and lead you. I'm going to gather you to myself and protect you. It's who I am. He goes on. He says, 
in our death. The I am is. John eleven twenty five. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he dies, yet shall he live. We've said this over and over again the last few weeks. But if you're not in Jesus, if you're not a Christian, you're spiritually dead. You have no life in you. Like you literally can go through the motions and try really hard, but you can't make a dead thing come to life. All the good works, all the things, that's what's wrong in our souls. We have all these longings, but we're spiritually dead. And the only way we're going to have become spiritually alive is if we are in Christ, because He is the resurrection, and He is the life. And he resurrects all things, including ourselves. A couple more. John 14, 6, He says, In our wandering and our striving, the I am, Jesus is, He says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one, you hear that? No one comes to the Father except through me. So it's exclusive. I'm the only way. I'm the only truth. I'm the only life. There's not a ton of ways to God. There's one way to God. And it's Jesus. Do you know Jesus? And in all of our wonders, all of our striving, none of that works. It's only in Christ. I'm the only way. All the other religions are not true. It's Jesus. It's not how do we make our way to God. It's like you couldn't make your way to God, and He has come to you. That is Christianity. It's exclusive. It's exclusive. We talked about that already the last few weeks. One more. In our barrenness, He says, the I am is John 15, 1. I am the true vine, and the Father is the vine dresser. Jesus says, Israel was supposed to be this vine that produced so much fruit and to be a light to the nations, but they failed. And Jesus says, no, no, listen, I am the true vine. And if you're in me, if you abide in me, you will produce much fruit. You can live the life that I've called you to live. But how many of you this morning just walk in and say, Derek, I'm dry. I'm barren. I don't feel like I'm producing fruit. I I want more out of life. I'm just existing. And he says, in our barrenness, the I am is the vine. Are you connected to him? Are you connected? If you're not producing fruit, you've got to ask, are you connected to the source of life? If I go out to a tree and chop off a branch, whatever's on that branch is going to wither and die very quickly because I've disconnected it from its source of life. And so there's no fruit in your life. You've got to ask the question, am I really in Jesus? Do I really know him? And so all of these things, Jesus said, this is why I've come. The I am has entered into your story, into creation. The creator has become as created, although he was eternal and created by no one. And he says, I'm walking with flesh, and I'm going to die your death. I'm going to rise again to accomplish all of these things for you. And then he says one more statement that we're going to spend the rest of our time with this morning. Um, he says, in our longing. So all this kind of summarizes it. We're just, we have longing. So many of us are looking for something to fill us. All of us have longings together this morning. And so many of us have had expectations of life that have not been met for whatever reason. Here's what frustration happens is when you have expectations and then reality doesn't meet those expectations, what do you fill in the gap with? When you have all of these longings and you said, I always thought life was going to be like this. I thought following Jesus was going to be like this. But yet here's my reality. Here's how it turned out. It's not anywhere close to what I wanted. The question for us as believers and those of us wrestling with these things, if you're here and you're not a Christian, is what are you going to fill the gap with? What's really going to fill the longing in our soul? And so Jesus is going to say, I'm the bread of life. I'm the bread of life. And we're going to jump in and see some context of this in John chapter 6. But 
uh, bread for people in these days, we think bread, and we're like, ah, that's just something that Outback gives me before my real meal. You know, like, it's the bread on the table. But for these people, bread was everything, okay? It was, it was kind of a, a junk drawer term for food, for nourishment, for, for sustainable living. It was provision for them. The bread was l- quite literally life. We don't have bread, we die. It's, we have no access to food. And so for Jesus to speak into that situation and say, listen, I I am the bread of life. It has such implications, such implications for us today. So we're going to begin reading in John chapter 6, verse 25. Uh, but let me set up the first 24 verses of what's happening, okay? So hang with me. Let's jump in. Let's wrestle with these things together. What is Jesus uh, saying to us uh, this morning? So in John chapter 6, verse 1 through 14, here's what's happening. That Jesus feeds the 5,000 people. He's teaching the people, and they have a great need. And they ask, where are we going to buy bread? There's not enough people. Uh, for for to defeat all these people that are here to hear you jesus and jesus the text actually says that jesus knew what he was going to do but he asked them so what what are we going to do there's this little boy who offered up his lunch and so with a little basket full of bread and fish he fed five thousand plus and that was just five thousand men so we don't really know how many people he actually fed but thousands upon thousands upon thousands from the word of the power of jesus and a prayer to the father he feeds the multitude he feeds the multitudes. And then you move on uh, in verse 15 to 16 all the way down uh, to verse 21. Here's what happens. He's going to t- take away and go away to, to pray because the people are wanting to make him king. I mean, you're, they're looking for the Messiah, and you've got this guy that can take a handful of food and literally feed thousands. I mean, if you're like me, you're going, let's make him our king. You know, like he can take the deficit and just take it away. You know, like this is great. Like make Jesus the king. He's so useful to us. And so they're trying to make him as king. And Jesus said, this is not right. I'm not, it's not ready for this. And so he steals away to go up on the mountain to pray. And the disciples are out in a boat. And they begin to wander off. And the storm picks up. And the disciples think they're going to die. And Jesus comes out. And the boat's already far. And he walks on water out to his disciples. You guys know the story. The disciples are freaking out because they think he's a ghost. And he says, listen, it's I. It is I. Same thing, literally in the original. It is I am. It is Yahweh. Do not be afraid. And Jesus gets into the boat. And other accounts say the storm subsided. John doesn't even say the storm subsided because that's not the point of the story. The point of the story of, the, of Jesus calming the water is not that Jesus calms the storms of our lives. And the point of the feeding of the 5,000 is not primarily that Jesus can feed the multitudes and provide for us. Although those things are absolutely true. He's more than able, right? He can walk on water. He created water, <laughs> Right? Of course he can do that. But it's so much more than just these, and I think people take these passages and say, here's what this means for us, that Jesus will calm the storm of your life. And that is so true. He can do that, does that, and he does do that because he's so gracious. But this is not the point of the story. The point of the story is he's revealing something about who he is. Like, I am who I say I am. I really am God. These miracles really did happen. And they were serving as signs to say, this is true. Jesus is who he says he is. That's the point. But see, he's revealing himself to the disciples in a specific way. Because when you come up to verse um, 24 and 25, the crowds finally find Jesus. So he's kind of stolen away. All this has happened. He's calmed the sea. The disciples are back on land. And the crowds come. And they basically say, where have you been, Jesus? And he could have said, Oh, I was just out walking on water, you know, common seas and doing all that stuff. But he doesn't say that. Like, he doesn't say that to them. Why? 
Because I think it was specifically to the disciples. He's teaching them something about who he is. See, because you look up in John 6, I skipped this, but when he's feeding the 5,000, hang with me. He's feeding the 5,000, uh, and, and when they were done, you know how many baskets were left over? Anybody remember? Twelve. Twelve baskets left over. How many apostles were there? Do you guys remember? I don't think that's a coincidence, do you? It's almost as if he's saying, yes, I'm the God of abundance. I can do this. I am the Messiah. I'm the one you've been waiting on. But I'm proving to you that even when you are completely unable to do what you're called to do, there's going to be enough for you. Twelve baskets left over. There's going to be enough. And then they're out in the middle of the, of the ocean and they think they're going to die. And yes, he calms the storm, but John doesn't even mention it. Jesus doesn't even mention it because it was specifically for the disciples. See, listen, the point of this is not that Jesus calms storms. Sometimes he will in our lives, the proverbial storms of our life. But sometimes he doesn't calm the storm. Sometimes he doesn't do that. And all the point of all of this, it even says um, in verse 21, read it with me. It says, then they were glad to take him into the boat. <laughs> I think so. It's good to have Jesus in the boat with you. But I mean, that's the point of this. The point of Jesus in our life, his work in us, is not mainly just to make it easy on us. It's not just the tricks to feed the multitudes. And it's not just to say, oh, we're going to die. Jesus, come in, fix the situation. No, 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 that's not the point. The point is, we get Jesus in the boat. When the waves are rocking and reeling, like, you have Jesus. He's there. And he's even in the midst of the suffering and the tensions of life. And when you're going, I can't do this. I don't have what these people need. We're going to die if someone doesn't help us in the, in the middle of those spaces. You know what God's doing in you? We go, God, fix it. <laughs> change it. Change the circumstances. No, God's going, no, no, no. I want to change you. And I want you to see who I am. Now, I may do that from, from actually answering your request because he cares about our needs. He feeds the 5,000. He cares about our physical needs. He does calm the storm. That is our God, but that's not his primary motivation. His primary motivation is to, for you to see him. Jesus in the boat is the goal. That's what he's doing. He's showing us so much about himself. So let's pick up the story and read in John 6, verse 25. So the crowds are here. The same ones who were fed, okay, the 5,000 are fed. They found Jesus again, and they want to make him king. So when they find him, let's see what happens in verse 25. We'll read a couple of verses here, and we'll talk about it. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, teacher, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me. Not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. So this is just so startling for me. And, and in a church culture that says we got to attract as many people as we can to us. And we love for people to come. But let's look at what Jesus does. They're seeking him. They're after Jesus. They want to make him king. On the surface, I would go, Jesus is like, yeah, I got some followers. That's not what he does, is it? Instead, he says, you're seeking me, but you're doing it in the wrong way. So Man, this is an indictment for us. Listen, let's lean in to what Jesus is saying to us here. Is it possible for us to do the same thing? Is it possible for us this morning to even be in this room? And I think all of us, you're here because you're seeking something. Hopefully Jesus, but you're seeking something. 
But would Jesus look into the motivations of your heart today and say, you're here and you're seeking me, but you're seeking me for all the wrong reasons. You're seeking me for some really, really selfish reasons. Would we make a similar mistake today? And so here's the thing we're going to wrestle with before we move on in the narrative. We're going to pull out and look at what it means for us, okay? Here's a statement. Jesus did not come to be useful. He did not come for that. He is useful. He does so much in our lives, and he's the giver of so many good gifts. But here's why Jesus came. He came to be precious. He came to be precious. They had deep desires. You listening? They had deep desires. They had deep needs, and they saw Jesus as able to meet those needs. Is there anything wrong with that? No. Because he is able to meet those needs. He, he's the source of that. He does care. He does care of all the stuff that's going on in your life. All, if you're struggling with finances or health or um, the future or relational strife or sin that you just can't. He cares about all of those things. Let's not go to the other extreme on this. He's a God who meets our needs. But listen, they wanted Jesus to be their king, not because of who he is, but because of what he could do for them. That's why they wanted Jesus king. Let's make him king. He's useful. He can keep our bellies full and he can keep our ships afloat. We can take Rome. You know, we can conquer Rome and we can take over all the things we've been waiting on for this military ruler for all of our lives. And he said, I'm not going to have you that way. That's not what it means to be my disciple. Yeah, it's a crowd and yeah, you're singing my praises, but that's not what I'm after. I'm after much more than that. And so I'm, st- I'm borrowing this from a pastor I heard preach on a similar topic um, on consumer Christianity. <laughs> Seeing Christianity as a way to get stuff from the church or to get stuff from Jesus rather than seeing, no, no, I'm a, I lay my life down as a sacrifice. See, when Jesus says, come follow me, what did he say? Take up your cross and what? Follow me and then die to ourselves. Not, hey, Jesus, here's my laundry list of expectations. Hey, here's the church, and I want everything to do exactly what I want it to do in the church. No, no, no. That's not the call of discipleship. The call of discipleship is come and die, Bonhoeffer would say. When he bids a man, he bids him to come and die. So here's some of the ways I think that we can miss this and come to Jesus in a false way. Listen, some of us come to Jesus, and maybe this is why you began seeking christianity in the first place maybe it's why you're here in the room uh, this morning you were just missing something maybe you went through a crisis in your life and it was just overwhelming for you and like i have to have god to fix this and so you leaned in uh, to make the situation better maybe you're scared of going to hell and said some preachers scared you and listen hell's a real place and none of these things are inherently evil by the way as i'm reading through these these are all okay motivations they're just not the primary ones so I was scared of going to hell. So if I go to God, I get to get out of hell. That's my get out of hell free card, we say all the time. Like, that's why I've come to Jesus, is to not have to go to that place. Maybe you saw religion or following Jesus to provide stability for you. Maybe it's this, you bought into this health and wealth gospel that Jesus will get you the new car and, the, and you'll get healed. And you follow that lie. That if I've come to Jesus, he's going to just bless me abundantly in all the resources of this world. Maybe some of you, I see this a lot in this area. As people start to have kids and they've been out of church, they come back to church because they want their kids to be raised um, knowing God. And that's not a bad motivation. 
Maybe you just desire to be a good person and Jesus helps you be a better version of yourself. Maybe it's much more general and you see that he's just accessing the things um, that I want. Self-fulfillment. So listen, on one hand, on one hand, listen, none of that's bad. Because God gives us physical needs and longings in our hearts. They were hungry, they saw what Jesus could do, and they saw that he could meet those. That's okay. That's a good place to start. Is when things in life aren't going very well, and all these things begin to happen, you come to the end of yourself, and that is a gift of God. He gives us physical needs, physical hungers, all these longings of our souls, precisely so that we'll see our need for him. But listen, on one level, that ain't, that ain't bad. But on another level, on another level, this is a huge mistake. A huge mistake. I think so many people, especially in our area, this cultural Christianity of I'm following Jesus for what I can get from him. So here's a question. God is not something that we add to our life. Like following Jesus is not tacking on Jesus to your schedule, to your agenda. I've got all these plans. I'm doing all these things. Oh, yeah, sure. I'll add Jesus in there. I'll, I'll give him a couple hours on Sunday. If I'm really, really committed, maybe a life group or something, I might serve. I'm going to add him on to everything that I'm about, all the things that I'm doing, all of my dreams. Yeah, he might be a way to you know, give me all my dreams. And so I'm going to tack him on to my life. He's not something we add to our life, but rather God is someone to whom we offer our lives you don't come to god saying give me you come to god and say you've already given me everything in the gospel so following jesus is saying i've got nothing i've got no expectations i have no rights i have no my dreams die my ambitions die i don't want to live for me anymore god whatever you want out of my life is yours it's yours i offer my life as a sacrifice to you sacrifice i give you everything that i have i don't expect anything from you so we've already said it but i'll say it again following jesus is not mainly about getting something from jesus but surrendering everything to jesus following jesus is not mainly about getting something from him but surrendering everything to him have you ever done this like listen have you ever said that like I'm coming to God, not for his stuff, but for him. And I'm going to follow him. It's not a prayer I pray and then I move on and can live however I want to. That is not the mark of someone who knows Jesus. When you come to him and you pray the prayer, you receive him by grace through faith. and He makes you righteous. That puts you on a trajectory. Not for acceptance, because you are accepted to change your life and to say, Jesus, I don't call the shots anymore. It's you. You are leading my life. You're the Lord of my life. I surrender everything to you. My life is an offering. So here's some questions that I'm just going to read to us, okay? Do you expect God to remove all the difficulty from your life and get frustrated when he doesn't? Or do you see that your greatest need, my, my greatest need, is to experience him and to become more like him no matter the cost? God, you see that? Remove all the difficulty or God, even in the difficulty, I, I want you. Is that your posture? Is that my posture for him? Here's another question. Why are you following Jesus? What's your motivation? 
because of what you think he can provide for you or because you believe that he is more valuable than life itself. He's everything. He's more, he's more valuable than anything. So I, I give me Jesus. Take the world, but give me Jesus. Does your obedience and, and your commitment to Jesus, listen, do they have limits? Would you say, God, I'm going to follow you, but that's the wall. <laughs> I ain't doing that. I'm not giving up that. I sure am not going there. Forgive my spouse? Uh-uh pursue you in your in my word i've got a busy schedule i'm too busy to read the bible really and get involved in the local church no no, no. I, I ain't volunteering my time i've got things i need to do like the, my obedience to jesus has limits not not obedience to the church not what your pastor and this is jesus saying you can't come to me to want the bread i am the bread <laughs> Don't come to me to get my stuff. I'll give you stuff, but that can't be the reason you're here. He turns people away because of that. I think Jesus would look at us if our obedience has limits, and he would say to us, are you following me because of what you can get out of it, or are you following me to be with me? You see the difference? You see the difference? You see the heart of God for your soul? And so here's the thing that they had to come to grips with. We're going to see how the story unfolds, but they're about to have a, a crisis. They're about to see, at some point, following Jesus, when we come to grips with wrestling with who he is, following Jesus is going to get us to a place to make us go in the opposite direction from our natural longings. At some point, following Jesus will cost us something, maybe everything. At some point, following Jesus is going to rub up against what you had in mind. It's going to rub up against what's comfortable. It's going to rub up against what's natural for you. And he's going to look at us and say, am I really worth it? Will you still follow me even if we're going the opposite direction of your dreams? Have you died to yourself? Do you see Jesus as better uh, than anything? And so it's like this. I saw a pastor do this this week. Here's a blank check. This is from my bank account, okay? Uh, and it's like we say this all the time, give God a blank check. And it's as if if I signed my name and made this check out to you and I gave you this check, What happens? Like, you have access to everything in my bank account, right? That's not a lot, trust me. <laughs> you wouldn't get too far. But, like, you could wipe me clean, okay? And that's really scary. Like, if I were to, if we were having the interchange, like, that's kind of the relational difference. Like, do you trust me with a blank check from your thing? Like, I'm really going to fill in $30 instead of adding a couple zeros to that. You know, like, can you really trust the person to, to give them a blank check? And when we say coming to Jesus and really following him with your lives, is that to God. Have you come before the Lord and laid your life down like a blank check before him? You've made it out to him, you've signed your name at the bottom, and you said, here, it's yours. Now, I don't care what you put, what cost is here. I don't care what you say. I don't care what this means. I'm in. I give you the blank check of my life. Everything I have is yours, God. Everything. Do you trust him like that? Have you ever done this? Really? That's what it means to follow Jesus. And for those of us who really do know Jesus, is this still your posture? Are you still saying, God, everything that I have, everything that I am, it's a blank check. I sign it, give it to you. Spend my life how you will. It's the cost of discipleship. It's the, what it means to follow him. So very quickly, let's unpack some of these other things he says to us and we'll be done, okay? 
John 6, 27. Let's keep reading the story. So he says that, but then he says, verse 27, Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him the Father has set his seal. You know what Jesus says? Here's what he says. Our deepest cravings are not for something. They're for someone. Our deepest cravings are not for something. They're for someone. We think that we need all of this stuff, and it would be so ridiculous to let go of it. And Jesus said, do not labor for the food that perishes. Don't spend your life looking for those things. They will not last. But rather, endure and work for the food that endures to eternal life. There's something deeper going on in our souls. Don't buy the lie that you need the external. There's something deeper. All the cravings of your soul, that you look to all of these things, they're not for stuff. The stuff will not satisfy. How many of you have done that? You've chased your whole life for so many weeks and years for that thing, and you finally got that thing, and it let you down. Anybody? Christmas, okay, people, okay. Christmas is a proverbial letdown. You know, the trinket isn't as shiny as it used to be. Like, it's just how we are. Because you were created for more than things. You were created for Him. And our deepest cravings are not for stuff, it's for someone. So Jesus says, do not try to satisfy the eternal longings of our lives with temporary pleasures. Don't do it. Don't do it. And so listen, Jesus did not come to fulfill our desires mainly, but rather to change our desires to where we see that He is the prize, He's the goal over everything. That's why he came. He didn't come to just give us all the stuff we wanted. He came to say, listen, you're not wanting the right things. And so I'm going to change you to where you want me. You see me as the greatest treasure. I'm everything. That's who he is. So let's keep reading. Verse 28. Then they said to him, so he says, okay, don't labor for this food that that perishes, but labor for the food that endures, for life. So their response is what some of our, our response might be this morning. Then they said to him, what must we do? All right, sounds like a good deal. I want eternal life. What are we to do to be doing the works of God? Notice Jesus' answer. Jesus answered them, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. We are not fulfilled by doing. We are fulfilled by believing. They come, and this is the question of religion, right? What do I got to do? Give me my list. Give me my checklist. What what, what work do I need to do? He says, listen, there's nothing you can do to earn this. Here's the work. The work is to believe. Jesus, you want to work? All right, I'll give you a big challenge. You've got to fight and work hard to to understand that you don't have to do anything. It's a fight to believe. And believe precisely in the object of our faith. Not just believe in general, but to believe in Him. Literally in Jesus, like the person of who He is. That's what it means. So believe what? Let's keep reading. Verse 30. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see you and believe you? So prove it. (laughs) What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And then Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread, but my father who gives you, listen, the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. So said, Listen, they still think it's something else. They still don't say, Give us this bread. Whatever that is that gives us life, that doesn't go away, give me that. They're still saying, Give me that thing. And notice what Jesus does. He turns it. Verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. 
I am the source of your soul's nourishment. I am the thing that's going to fulfill your soul. Whoever comes to me shall never hunger. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. You do not believe. That's what he says to us, and we're closing. Listen. Jesus says, I'm the only thing that's going to satisfy your soul. Don't labor for this bread that's going to fulfill. And don't come to me expecting stuff. You don't need stuff. I might give you the stuff, and then it's going to not satisfy you. But I'm coming and I'm inviting you. Here's the work that I ask you to do is to believe in me. To believe that I am who I say I am. That I'm going to do for you what I said I'll do. And do you believe? Do you believe? Listen, this is a question for you. Do you believe that Jesus is enough to satisfy you? Do you really believe that? He is the bread of life. The bread that gives life. He's that. And this will never make sense. Ever. Ever. Until you see Jesus. Because here's what's happened. You'll never believe that this is worth it. Whatever cost this makes. That you gain more than you ever give. You'll never believe that until you see him. That's what some happened. Verse 66 of John 6. Jump down. Here's what happens. After this, many of his disciples turned back. And no longer walked with him. The cost was too great. Jesus is putting the game up a little bit. Hey, I just want to kind of hang out and get, see some miracles and get my needs met. When you're talking self-denial and following you and believing that you're everything, I'm out. I'm out. And he lets them walk. But, verse 67, we just sang it in song earlier. Jesus said to them, said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? I think he says that to us. Do you want to go away? Are you going to walk away and say the cost is not worth it? Jesus is not worth the stuff that I'm going to hang on to? Are you going to walk? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Where are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. So, how is this possible? How is it possible to really lean in and to see this to be true. That, so how do we not walk away? And how do we see that he is who he says he is? Where, where are we going to go? That's a really good question. If you say no to Jesus and his will for your life, where are you going to go? And how's that working for you? It's not, it doesn't work so hot. Here's a couple of things. I promise, I promise we're done soon. We will only be satisfied in Jesus alone when we receive new life. This is not just something you flip a switch and it happens. This is something that must happen from you. If we had time, I'd love to read it. Actually, we, we're going to make time, okay? John 6, 37. Words are on the screen. Read this with me. Uh, you don't have to read it out loud, but in your heart, okay? All the, that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone, get this, everyone, everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life. He's saying, here's how life's possible. I wish we had more time to unpack it, but I took too long on the front. Salvation's only possible because the Father initiates. The Father calls. The Father chooses. He says that the Father has given people to me that we are saved because god was gracious not because we were good right he says he's given them to me and everybody the father's given to me i'm not going to lose 
I'm going to pay for them. I'm going to purchase. I'm not going to lose the Father's given. He set his divine, sovereign will toward us and said, I'm going to save those people. Paul agrees in the book of Romans. It's him, him who he, they, he predestined, he also called. And whom he called, he also justified. And whom he justified, he also glorified. That the Father set his love for you before you ever saw your need for him. That's why John would say, we love God. Why? Because he first loved us. And Jesus is affirming that. That the Father's for you. He's reaching out to you. He's going to chase you down. And then the Son is going to purchase at you with his blood. He's going to save you. He's going to perfectly satisfy the will of the Father. He's going to be crushed instead of us so that we could be called the sons and daughters of God and be brought in. That's what the Son's going to do. He's perfectly in line with his Father. He says, I'm going to do what the Father's will is. And the the Son and the Father and the Spirit are going to keep us, he says. I ain't going to lose one of them. That's what he promises. That's the only hope for this life that we're talking about. That's the only hope. It's the only hope. So if you'll bow uh, with me, and we're going to enter into a time of response, and really, please keep your head bowed, eyes closed, and this is just to remove distractions. There's nothing magical about these times, but I just want to say, to what what do we do? What is Jesus uh, saying to us uh, as a result of this? He's the only one that satisfies us. Here's what he says. John 6, 35, we just read it. He says, I'm the bread of life, whoever comes to me. So the invitation is to come. The invitation is to stop running, to stop looking for all these things, and to come to him. That he's drawing, that he's saving, that he's wooing, that he's done everything necessary. The call on the cross was, it is finished. Nothing left for us to do. And then he says some really startling statements that, He said, I'm the bread of life, but you've got to eat of me. And he uses that metaphor of, if he's the bread, then we have to eat. And he says some really hard things. I just want to read it over us, and it sets up the Lord's Supper that we're about to to partake in. In the same chapter, he said, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. And whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I am him. So here's what he says. Eating, listen, if you're going to eat of him, it's not, he's not promoting cannibalism. He said, listen, you have to have an experience of me. It's not enough just to see me. They saw him. But do you believe that he is who he says he is? And he uses this metaphor, have you eaten of me? Have you partaken of me? So here's some questions. Listen, eating is in response to hunger. You're never going to eat if you're not hungry. And all of the needs of our lives that we've been talking about, they're not ultimate, but God's given those to you, listen, to show you that you are hungry for him. Hungry hearts are the way that the Father begins to draw us to him. That's what he uses. So are you hungry enough this morning to say, yeah, nothing else is working. I, and you're saying my need is Jesus. Are you hungry enough? Will you confess and agree with God of your sin? But he says eating is personal. Listen, we can go out to eat together, and we may be eating in a big group, but eventually if I'm going to eat, the food has to go in my mouth. So I ask you, you may be in a big room of a lot of people, 
that have been worshiping Jesus, and you've bought the lie that just because I'm here together, that I'm bought into Jesus, that I've eaten of Jesus, and I believe in Jesus. But belief is not corporate like this. It has to be personal. Have you tasted and seen that he is good? Is he the bread of life for your soul? Have you partaken of him yourself? Have you examined yourself and seen this? Have you repented of your sin? So I don't want to go that way anymore. I don't, want to, I don't want to keep striving. I want you. And then, listen, eating is essential to life. You don't eat, you die. That's what Jesus is saying. If you don't partake of me once for salvation, so some of that's you. You need this morning, you do not know Jesus. And today needs to be the day that you don't walk out, you don't put it off, you remove all the things that you're ashamed of to be honest about that. Maybe you've been in church your whole life and you're saying, I do not know Jesus like this. And you need to come talk to us. And you don't need to come to the table today because the table is reserved for people who know Jesus. We ask that you do not take the Lord's Supper. But we invite more than just the symbol of the bread and the blood of Christ. We invite you to Him, to taste of Him, to eat of Him. And for the rest of us, listen, all of life is of faith. The same way we began in Christianity is the same way we continue to Christianity. It's by faith. We walk by faith and not by sight. Are you believing Jesus for everything? Have you bought the lie that he des- you deserve him to give you stuff? Or are you coming to Jesus for him? Why are you here this morning? Why are you following him? And do you have that blank check this morning? Have you said, I'm signing my name to you. Everything that I have is yours. And I'm going to stop running. I'm going to be obedient to you. So let this time this morning be that space. If you're not here and you're not a Christian, call out to him right now. Say, God, save me. And he'll do that. Right now, you don't need me to lead you in a prayer. You can do that yourself. Come talk to us after uh, and tell us you did that. For the rest of us, repent and believe the gospel. And God has given us the Lord's Supper to prepare our hearts, to examine our hearts, to remember the body and blood of Jesus. And so uh, the band's going to sing this song, Oh, come to the Father, come to the altar. He's here. We come to the altar and we gladly give that blank check to Him. It's the altar of our lives where sacrifices happen. We come to the altar and say, I trust you with everything in my life. So we're going to sing this over us. And let's stay in your seats. Let this be a prayer. If you want to sing out, you can. And just prepare our hearts to take the Lord's Supper. But you obey the Scriptures as, as He has been revealing Himself to you this morning. We'll come back up and get further instruction in a second.